in our Bill of Rights is the freedom to hear uncensored ideas and opinions, to think your own thoughts, and to say what's on your mind. We couldn't have liberty without it. Now, more than ever, it's good to spout off, to listen, debate, and participate. Here's your host of Spouting Off, commentator, columnist, and all-around rabble-rouser, Karen Cataline. Well, it's so good to be back with you on my home uh, here at Spouting Off. I do a lot of radio during the week, but nothing better than being home, um, doing Spouting Off. And as you may know, Spouting Off gets a bad rap. Uh, And I always giggle when I hear people say, oh, Spouting Off, they're just running off at the mouth. They're not saying anything. It's not important what they're saying. Yet here at Spouting Off, we celebrate true diversity, not the phony diversity where you lump everybody together into collectivist groups and decide who to hate. That's phony diversity. We believe in the diversity of ideas, toleration for differences of opinion. We don't take kindly to anyone shutting someone down. If you don't want to hear what they have to say, you know, turn the channel, ask them politely. I don't want to hear about that. But interactions between individuals who are speaking their mind uncensored in a free country that is our, that's God's gift to us all, a country dedicated to individual liberty, personal responsibility, and uh, a limited government that makes that hopefully possible. Everywhere I turn on the news, it doesn't matter whether I look at my news feeds or wherever I look, I see assaults on our constitutional rights. Just fundamentally, there are hearings going on, which I think are wonderful. I don't know if you're watching them. I go out of my way sometimes to take breaks. But if you're watching that suddenly Republicans, and of course there are some turncoat Republicans who don't care a whit about liberty. We won't talk about them for the moment. There are Republicans whose voices are actually being heard right now in the House of Representatives. Do you remember there being any Republican voices being heard in the dog and pony show of the January 6th investigation during prime time that the media dutifully reported as if it was truth with no opposing views. Uh, In the previous chamber, in the previous um, uh, season of the House of Representatives when the Democrats were run and uh, uh, Pelosi was Speaker of the House, Uh, They didn't just make Republican voices a minority. They punished and shut them down wherever possible, just like they're shutting down, attempting to shut down everyday citizens' questions, dissent, disagreement, debate. This has been the way of any free country that had to learn to tolerate, accept, and discuss differences. In fact, doggone it, it's the same thing in our personal lives, but somehow we're being told by the radical left that now controls the Democrat Party and unfortunately controls the Oval Office because he doesn't do anything they don't like. Uh, We're being told that um, disagreement is dangerous, that words are dangerous, that alternative thinking is dangerous. What I was going to say is... As a former social worker, which, by the way, is kind of like being a Marine. I'm not a Marine, never was a Marine. I respect our military. But just like Marines, once a social worker, always a social worker. Matter of fact, we're going to talk about mental illness in our very next segment with someone who wrote a book about it. And I love talking about individuals and uh, communication skills and how people interact with one another. I don't think there would be an enormous amount of disagreement among many individuals when when someone might say, and it's okay if you disagree, 
that one of the ingredients to a great relationship, a great marriage, is to learn how to work your problems out. The minute you try to shut down your partner or tell them that it's your way or the highway, I got news for you. You're probably not going to have a happy relationship. There has to be room for differences of opinion and tolerance for differences of opinion. Uh, and being able to tolerate somebody who disapproves of you, doesn't like you, maybe thinks that what you're doing is crazy, but who's not going to take steps to force you to do it their way, they're simply going to disapprove. Our Constitution does not guarantee our right not to be disapproved of. But the radical left would like you to believe that merely disapproving of someone is uh, somehow a violation of that someone's rights. What they don't understand is when you make that a violation, which is absurd on its face, then you're taking away your own right to think and believe and speak as you wish. So, the, the relationships that people have, have you ever seen a really great relationship? They don't always agree. They don't always get along. They have to learn how to, if you will, and this is a term from the 70s, fight fair. <laughs> they have to learn how to fight fair, which means no hitting below the belt, but tolerate other people's rights to disagree or to see things differently. I mean, it even comes down to whether uh, you like coffee or you don't. I'm just using that as an example. My husband always makes fun of me because I actually like coffee. I've moved to decaf because I have enough energy and I'm usually zipping around the room anyway. Uh, but he's, he's a truck driver who has never had never liked coffee. And he makes all kinds of, you know, cute little remarks about how awful coffee tastes. And we just get a great laugh out of it because we relish our differences. And we're not talking about the differences of groups we belong to. We're talking about individual differences, individual ability to think and to move in your own life as you see fit. Those are the things we're missing. Matter of fact, as a social worker, one of the things that does uh, concern me among many, many more is that in this great cultural uh, war that we are in, where common sense is under attack, where law-abiding citizens are under attack, where the rule of law is under attack, and very, very powerful agencies are going after small little individuals and telling them that they somehow committed a crime because they disagreed with their government. Now people are being demonized because they disagree, either with their government or with anyone else. Uh, there is a screaming audio from 19, excuse me, uh, let's see, the 2000s in which Hillary screamed and shrieked about how she had a right to disagree with anybody in the government, especially George W. Bush, who she was railing against because she was getting ready to run for president. Funny how rights and privileges only apply to the left, never to anyone else, and certainly not to the people that they see or view as their political enemies. Well, the truth is, they view anyone who disagrees with them as their political enemy. We've seen this again and again. An idea makes it into either into a Biden speech or somewhere along the line, and then every propaganda media outlet picks it up as if it is uh, gospel, to, <laughs> to coin a phrase gospel. You know, if Biden said it, he's telegraphed to all of the propaganda media that they now have to characterize anybody who disagrees with uh, their school board, with COVID policy, with shutdowns, with masks, with vaxes, with anything in the era of uh, goose-stepped unified opinion, they are a threat to democracy, which is, again, preposterous on its face. You are a bad guy if you dare to disagree. How do you get a freedom-loving country that was built on individual liberty, 
personal responsibility. How do you breed out of them the whole notion that ideas and thoughts are not dangerous, that sticks and stones can break my bones, but names will never hurt me? How do you breed that out of a, of a country with a proud heritage of elevating the freedom of speech to the very first of the uh, Bill of Rights. More important, if you want to say that it was in order, which they're not necessarily, the First Amendment is essential to a free country. Without free expression, without freedom of thought, freedom to disagree, freedom to be a renegade. As long as you do not commit a crime, being an ideological renegade is not a crime. Somehow, the radical left, which is dedicated to Marxism, global and otherwise, have begun to convince young people and people of all ages that ideas are dangerous. They have begun to convince everyday people that the mere disagreement with one's government is dangerous to our democracy, which is contradictory to what the idea of democracy is. Now, again, we're not going to get into a long discussion about whether we are a democracy or a representative republic. We are a representative republic. However, in free countries in the West, in Western civilization, they tolerate disagreement, whereas countries who have been overtaken with tyranny, with communism, with authoritarianism, with totalitarianism, which is the very definition of the lack of freedom, totalitarians believe that whatever they say, whatever they believe must be law because they said it. And we have a lot of dictator wannabes in this country who maybe were dictators a long time ago before dictators became in fashion. It should have been suspicious to everyone that among the things uh, Donald Trump was framed with was the idea that he was somehow a Hitler and a dictator. What an insane proposition. There is no evidence to suggest that at all or in any way. So guess what? I have been spouting off and it's time for us to take a break. We're going to welcome our very first guest right after this. Don't go away. You're listening to Spouting Off here and everywhere. Don't go away. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Hello, I'm Mike Lindell, inventor of MyPillow. Thanks to your support, you've helped make MyPillow become one of the fastest growing companies in America. Over the last 12 years, you've helped MyPillow create thousands of jobs right here in the USA. Every MyPillow is made with passion here in my home state of Minnesota to ensure you get the best sleep of your life. One of the things that I really like about MyPillow is the support. It gives my neck a little hug. I've never slept better in my life. What's better than a great night's sleep? Call or go online to take advantage of my best offer ever. For a limited time, when you use your promo code, you can get premium my pillows regularly $69.98, now only $29.98. With our 60-day money-back guarantee, you have nothing to lose. Sleep well, America! Call 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM, R-A-M. That's 1-800-867-0416 and use the promo code RAM. For the best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com. Your daughter doesn't want to talk about why her room is a horrible mess. Your son doesn't want to talk about why he's wearing mismatching socks. Your spouse doesn't want to talk about their bad haircut. <gasps> Families don't have to talk about everything, but they should talk to plan for an emergency. Pack basic supplies in a go bag, water, canned food, flashlights, batteries, medical supplies, IDs, and some cash. Talk about where you'll meet in case you lose one another. And of course, don't forget to pack the dog treats. Talk to your family and make an emergency plan. Go to nyc.gov slash readyny 
a call 311 to make your family's emergency plan. Brought to you by New York City Emergency Management and the Ad Council. Spouting off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. Share healthcare? How can I help? I missed the deadline. Um, what deadline? The healthcare deadline. I'm locked out. We don't have any deadlines at Share Healthcare. You can enroll with us at any time. Oh, but can I afford it? Share Healthcare programs start at $149 a month. Less than $5 a day. Can I keep my doctor? Absolutely. Pick your own doctor and hospital. Amazing. How do I join? Just visit ShareHealthcare.com. ShareHealthcare.com. Karen Cataline puts the Judeo in Judeo-Christian. Now back to Spouting Off. Welcome back to Spouting Off. I'm Karen Cataline. So glad to have you with us. And uh, if you'd like to access other shows of Spouting Off, Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays at 1 p.m. Eastern, I have an archive. Actually, I have lots going on at my website, KarenCataline.com. And you can access weeks and weeks of shows. In fact, believe it or not, this is show 445 of Spouting Off, um, and that doesn't include all the radio that I do, but uh, most of those shows are at my website. Thank you for listening. If you have something you'd like to hear or uh, discuss, you can always drop me an email at karen at karencataline.com. Well, as promised, I promised you we would talk a little bit about mental health. And uh, most of my listeners know I have an MSW from Columbia University, not the most conservative school in the world. And I love talking about mental health issues because we're living in some incredibly trying and difficult times for every individual, people facing suicidal thoughts and uh, many, many uh, difficulties in families and across the board because of all that's going on, disillusionment in our country and so forth. Well, I am pleased and delighted to welcome my next guest. KT Griffiths is her name, and she offers her very first book, which is a memoir, to all those who face the realities of life and parenting, which we talk about a lot around here. KT got her start in the fast-paced world of high fashion and modeling, and has assisted in the wardrobe and prop departments of numerous films. Her career passions have overlapped with a love for ministry, and she has decades of experience in leading women's Bible studies, mentoring young women and career women. Uh, the name of her book, uh, in fact, I'll have to let her say so. So let us welcome her right now. KT Griffiths joins us here on Spouting Off. Welcome, KT. Good to have you along. Thank you. Hello, Karen. It's good. Hi, and you, what? the name of the book? Yes, please. <laughs> okay. The name of the book is, and I know you don't hear that word, but it is S-H-H-H dot dot dot. Mental Illness ah, and Silent Disease, sh- A Mother's right. Heart by K.T. Griffith. All right. I was talking. Excuse me. I was running off at the mouth. Say that one more time. Okay. The first word is like put your finger up to your mouth and go sh- the sound, and then it's a mental illness, the silent disease, a, a mother's mental heart by illness, right? Mental illness, the silent d- disease. Well, right. give us an overview, and forgive me. In all my notes here, all I saw was shh, and I didn't know if that was a book title. So obviously, our <laughs> listeners may not know that too. Shh, mental illness is a disease. Okay. Tell us, give us an overview of this book and why people need to read it. Yes. Um, Well, the overview would be 200 pages. It has 24 illustrations that I actually did on an iPad as I was writing the book. Um, And then my friend, Chris Delaney, he, he made these beautiful into real art, which I think anybody, a parent or a child, can identify with a lot of these pictures and it's a really good talking point so the book itself is a lot of um, thoughts wisdom scriptures and things that I have walked through with my own child so she gave me permission to write 
all these stories, so I have got the permission to share them. Um, so it goes from childhood to finding out that she was cutting on and on. You know, there's just a lot of details, but also I don't go deep into any one of these subjects. I just give an overview of life. Hmm. So when you say cutting, which many of us are familiar with, what you mean is that your child was cutting on herself, uh, which That's is a right. common a common occurrence in people who are struggling with depression and um, and you say you didn't go into it in great detail. Then your your main uh, interest was to uh, awareness. Awareness. You know, I, okay. Right. Yeah. Because I think the parents that if you're like me, we already know these answers. We're walking through this. But if you're not somebody who has a child that has mental illness that has touched on these subjects, then this is a good eye-opener of what mental health is. Mm -hmm. And uh, what are some of the things that you share with your readers as to what they need to do if they have a child or a family member, not just cutting on themselves, but other forms of acting out behavior? Right. There's a lot of that. And it's a lifetime of walking through this. You know, in the beginning years, my let's say my child, let's go through middle school. Middle school is the highlight of something going to come out in the open. It's going to be middle school. Um, so that's when they act out sexually. They might start drugs. I mean, I hate to inform you parents, but these things happen. And the, those are just the eye-openers of that time frame of middle school that um, – you know, people are unaware. They think my child is just perfect and everything's great. Well, there's a lot of signals and signs to watch for. I think that you need to have a really good communication with your child so that when the behaviors change and the mood changes and the anxieties change, then there might be something else going on that you don't know about. And when you start those conversations, I, I just warn parents, do not have that scour look on your face when you're hearing something for the first time, because as soon as you do that, they will shut down and not communicate with you anymore. So try to be listening. Just be pleasant on your face so that you can get to the bottom of what's really going on. And mm -hmm. if you can build that trust level with your child, they will share more with you. Mm -hmm. And you really know this from personal experience. So you're sharing some of your own uh <clears throat> Uh, experience and what worked for you. May I ask, how old is your daughter now? She's 27, and we still are walking through life. Um, wow. But she, you know, because she's 27 now, she's on her own, and, you know, that's a different dynamics at this point. But the early years, you know, when I'm still the mom feeling responsible for everything, then those are the hard years to walk through. Not saying that these years have been hard also, but it is a continued journey. Yeah. And um, you touched on something. I'm looking at your table of contents, so uh, we can talk a little more about some of these chapters. They're fascinating. Mm -hmm. right. uh, but you touched on something that uh, we see often. I mean, I'm not practicing anymore, but I remember when I was in the mental health field and working with parents, uh, oftentimes they had such an image of themselves as, you know, as you mentioned, a perfect parent, that the right. child becomes kind of a reflection of the parent and causes the parent not to, to be in a, a state of denial about whatever that child is going through. Mm -hmm. uh, did you find that? Right. I, um, I actually wrote one of the stories, and it was about a, a friend whose son is at, at 80 years old. The parents are still enabling him to be an alcoholic, to do his choices. And I'm like, so parents, you need to let the child be the child grow up and let them figure out their life in, their, in a way that might be hurtful for you. But if they don't figure it out, you're going to be in this position of being in undenial, you know, not, not realizing this is a problem, and you're going to continue your life. So the hard choices are making choices for yourself because we want to help our kids. We'll do anything for our kids. But helping ourselves in the process of this is letting go and letting God be in control and trusting him for the answers. Yeah. 
Um, uh, what um, are you just just as an aside here? You you wrote this book, and I I just love that so many people now can write books, and they don't have to wait. You know, uh, to do a book proposal, they can self-publish. There's a million ways to get your message out right. there. Um, and I see that you wrote another book as well. Uh, I, I was looking on Amazon. I don't have it here in front of me now because my computer yeah, well, is I, frozen. Yeah, this is my first and only <laughs> yes. book. Uh, my, my plan is to do a journal with it. I don't know if they have that um, attached or not yet, but they're, you know, I'm hoping to do some type of a journal with it. And then I would love to do another book on a total different direction from parents. But we'll get to that oh. eventually. Well, uh, maybe I have the wrong, no, I have something called the Summit of Fiery Passions. Forgive me. It came up under your name <laughs> no. on Amazon. So help us understand so, that. So if our listeners yes. want to buy your book, they don't buy the right, wrong one. <laughs> well, make sure that the, the uh, KT Griffiths with an S on the end, dot com. If you can go to that, K-T-T-R-I-F-F-I-T-H-S dot com, yeah. then we might get the right the right direction. Yes, exactly. Well, your book is on Amazon because I have it pulled up in front of me. And yes. uh, um, tell us more about one of the messages of the book that you would like people to get uh, after reading it. What was like one of your your greatest desires, the message that you want people to get if they're going through this kind of thing? Mm-hmm. I would hope that they would have hope, that they don't have to live in defeat. I mean, the heavy hearts that we carry around at times, they're very heavy. And we've walked through a whole lot of stuff. But the listeners that don't understand this, when your friend says something to you about what they're going through, understand that they do have a heavy heart, and this is very important to them. So the, the, the hope turns into trust and truth, and that would be what I would hope for everybody, is that they can live with themselves with the decisions that are made, even if they're super hard, like making the choice that your child cannot live in your home or making the choice that, okay, your child's going to a program, making the choice to call 911 when there's a suicide threat. Those are all really important and very heavy at the same time, but those are important decisions to make for yourself. Yeah. One of, one of my favorite topics in the whole mental health field, which actually, and, and, and we don't have to go to pure politics, which I do a lot of on this program, <laughs> is the whole idea of boundaries. Boundaries yeah. are important and healthy things, especially when they're set for the right, right reasons, because right. you know that there needs to be a boundary. And you just gave a couple of great examples of boundaries. Uh, mm-hmm. A boundary, for example, of telling somebody or a child that they they cannot any longer live in your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're living in a time in which boundaries are kind of poo-pooed and said, no, we have to get rid of boundaries. No, we don't. Not boundaries. We don't need to get rid of them on the southern border. We don't need to get rid of yeah. them between our government, our government and individuals. There needs to be boundaries and limitations on government power, just like there needs to be boundaries on parents who think that uh, they need to be their child's best friend. Speak to that, if you would. Right. Well, if you don't put up a boundary, let's say your child is raped in college. I hate to say that, but that could happen. And if you don't let them know that they can reach out and get help by calling a hotline um, for help services, you know, if the child thinks that you're the only answer, then they may never reach out to tell you the truth about what's going on. So one of those boundaries would be to teach them how to have a boundary that you cannot be their only answer and that you can, it's okay to call a helpline or a hotline for trafficking or, or, I mean, if you put in help and put in whatever you're going through, there's usually something that will come up as a help hotline for you. Uh, very, very good. Now, I'm hesitant to ask you too much personal, but it says <laughs> that this book is a memoir. So mm-hmm. um, how are you doing now with your daughter? And is there some brief story, because we have about three minutes, 
okay. you can share, um, you know, from a personal perspective, because uh, uh, let me just say, I'm looking at your critiques and it says it's a must read. This is a personal, non-clinical view of mental illness with some very real entertaining and sobering stories from a mother's heart. That's your heart. So, right. um, you know, pick something out if you can and share it with us. Wow. Um, okay. I'll just pick on the hard subject, the traffic. Um, yes, my daughter was trafficked. This, oh, this no. happened at a, um, oh. an older age. She was going to a treatment program. And, hmm. you know, it's a, it's a strong voice. It's a stern tug on the arm. Our children are sensitive. And to submit to somebody else is a survival mode. So, you know, they do what they have to do to be in that survival mode. I think the most important thing a parent can do is listen. As hard as that is to hear where this has taken her, what's going on in her life, I think that parents have to listen to the heart of the child. If not, that child will step right back into society and nobody will know the truth. Nobody will know what happens. And then that buries deep roots in her soul. And for yeah. me, I've learned to listen to my daughter. We, we share stories. We share dreams. She's had dreams. I'll, I'll share one more. I know you're limited on time. But we are really limited, so hurry, hurry. Yeah, she had a dream of two doors. Yeah. One, was, one was a light coming from it, and one was a dark. And her decision was to walk through a door, pick a door. Well, she mm. would go to one and be pulled back over by the other. So it was a tug of war between the two doors. So she's standing there and has to make a choice just like all of us, are, we are going to make our own choices at the end of life, you know. So right now, she knows the Lord, but she has chosen the dark, the dark door. And my hope is that she will walk back over to the light door and figure out how to get out of where she's at and surrender her thoughts, her emotions, and her life yeah. back to the Lord. Well, thank you so much. What a relevant and heart-wrenching story about child trafficking. It is in the news and and you lived it, and it has impact, huge impact. Uh, everybody, you can get her book at KT, KT Griffiths. Uh, where else can you get it? Shh, Mental Illness, the Silent Disease. Right. If you, go to, if you go to my website, it'll have other details. Also, it has information on a conference on mental illness that I'm doing March 3 and 4. So that's Glad you up told and, us that. Yeah. KT, so you can just go, thank go you so much. We Thank really you. appreciate your work, and thanks for coming on the show. We appreciate it. <laughs> Thank you so much. Great. Well, we have the other spouse of someone we had a couple weeks ago who was advocating for having more children instead of less. How perfect. It looks like a theme is going on about kids. We'll have that story right after this. You're listening to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. We are being censored. America's news outlets no longer provide the truth. 90% of news outlets in the United States are controlled by six corporations. They're not out to tell you the truth of what's happening. They're out to tell you the picture of the world that they represent. The mission of the Epoch Times is to chase the truth, to ground all statements and facts, and prevent people from being misled. The Epoch Times is independent, we're not controlled by any special interest, and we never will be. This is a battle, a battle between truth and deceit, a battle between forces that would ensnare this country in ignorance and between a media that wants to present you with the truth. Subscribe today to our digital edition at theepochtimes.com and join the Americans who are seeking truth and tradition. Read the difference in all your devices. We'd love to have you on board. Are you tired of the same old snacks? Looking for something a little healthier than that bag of chips or candy bar? Even your average bag of trail mix these days is little more than peanuts, raisins, and candy-coated chocolate. Not very healthy, is it? Allow me to introduce you to White Mountain Munchies. Made from 100% all-natural ingredients, White Mountain Munchies combines unique flavors with nutritional value that will tingle your taste buds and strengthen and sustain Wonderful. your overall health and wellness. Great! Eating good never tasted so good. From Maggie's Maple Madness to Hannah's Heavenly Harvest, Grayson's Getaway Goodies, 
in our limited edition Christmas blend, Jacoby's Jolly Jumble. White Mountain Munchies offers nutritious and delicious snacks that the whole family is sure to love. Pick yours up now through our easy-to-use online store at whitemountainmunchies.com. White Mountain Munchies, non-GMO when you're on the go. The Reading Foundation provides evaluation and tutorial programs based upon the Orton-Gillingham philosophy of learning, based upon the study of language, how children acquire language, and the mechanisms involved in learning. All the learning pathways of the brain, visual, auditory, kinesthetic, and tactile are addressed and strengthened to build a strong foundation for the acquisition of reading skills. If you are interested in learning more, please contact the Reading Foundation for more information. The Reading Foundation is at 10 Northern Boulevard, Unit 19, Amherst, New Hampshire, 03031. Or you can email us at readingfoundation underscore rf at yahoo.com. And of course, you can call anytime at 603-882-0992. The Reading Foundation, Amherst, New Hampshire. Spouting Off with Karen Cataline will return in a moment. Hi, it's Karen Cataline. It's been almost a decade since I wrote Fat Lash Food Police in the Fear of Thin. It's about my early experiences in child beauty pageants and being put on extreme diets. Remember when that was shocking? Sadly, that seems like child's play compared to what we are watching today when politicians and woke corporations are actually advocating for the sexualization of children. Everyone's children. We're watching a frontal attack on childhood innocence. This is one story, my story. Fat Lash illustrates and explains why good boundaries are essential for kids to grow up healthy. They need their parents to set them, not the government. Get Fatlash today. It's available in paperback or ebook at Amazon or at my website, KarenCataline.com. Sign up for Karen's newsletter and read her columns at KarenCataline.com. Now back to Spouting Off with Karen Cataline. Welcome back, everyone, to Spouting Off. We're wrapping up the show with our next guest, somebody who is the husband of someone we had a couple weeks ago. And um, I often talk about holding fast to the very things that this very strange, radical strain of wokeness and globalist communism that hates Humans, I think they hate humans. You know, we talk a lot about transhumanism and all of that. Hold fast to the things you know to be true. Uh, regardless of your particular religious affiliation, hold fast to the things you know are important. And this next guest and his wife are doing that in a huge, huge way. His name is Malcolm Collins. We spoke to his wife, Simone Collins, I think just a couple weeks ago. They are the authors of The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting a Religion. Uh, it, uh, and Malcolm subsequently, he became uh, director of strategy at South Korea's most desired source of early stage capital. He raised a search fund, acquired a number of companies. And uh, so his, his background is in finance, but Malcolm is always on the lookout for new ways to optimize organizations as the global and technolo technological landscape evolves. In his spare time, he lectures on management techniques, and uh, he's published three Amazon best-selling books. Welcome, Malcolm Collins, to Spouting Off. Hello, it is wonderful to be here today with you. Oh my goodness, I love your energy. And I bet, Malcolm, <laughs> part of your energy is, is that you think instead of uh, 
uh, depopulating the world and telling people, as AOC does, that we shouldn't have children and women shouldn't have babies and we ought to abort them all. You believe people ought to have more children. Talk about well, that and how up with it. People are, I mean, the, the, the left, because it isn't part of their narrative right now. You know, they have this narrative they push. They'll just ignore data that falls outside of it. But if you look at fertility rates right now and the rate that they are declining, we should be very worried. Even the left should be worried. Um, you know, I, you mentioned that I was doing finance in South Korea, and this is where I first really got interested in this subject. So right now, uh, South Korea's fertility rate is 0.8 or 0.7. That means for every one woman on average, that's how many kids she's having. Now, to keep a population stable, you need 2.1. Well, at their current fertility rate, which is declining every year, so it will be worse than this, that means for every 100 Koreans, there will be either 4.3 or 6.4 great-grandchildren. So we are looking at around a 95% population collapse over the next century. Now, we are today where Korea was in the 90s, and no country has been able to reverse this trend. No country. Now, a lot of people, they look and they go, oh, well, you know, I'm sure like Muslim countries are resistant to this. No, Iran fell from 6.3 babies per woman in the 80s to 1.7 today, a faster rate of decline than China under the one child policy. And when you talk yes. to progressives about this, they're like, you know what, you can fix this with immigration. And it's like they're just not looking at yes. the data as of yes. as of. Um, Two years ago, I think now, according to the U.N., the U.N., all of collectively, uh, uh, like on average, Central America, South America and the Caribbean fell below repopulation rate. So they're not even stable anymore. There are only a very few countries in the world that are continuing to make up population growth, and they are desperately poor. And as those countries develop, their fertility rates are going to fall as well. You know, I, I'm just fascinated with this whole idea because along with the lies that we were told as kids, I'm probably older than you, was that <laughs> overpopulation was the biggest problem ever. Along with the lies that, uh, you know, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald, I was a little kid, by the way, I'm not that old, but Lee Harvey Oswald shot the president alone. He was a lone gunman. All the things we're finding out weren't true. The whole myth of overpopulation has been going on decade after decade after decade, even when we discover that Europe has not been able to reproduce its population, let alone grow its population. And now we have the depopulationists, the globalists, yeah. who, who want to uh, reduce the world population by astonishing numbers. There's a word for that. It's called genocide. I, I love that you are standing up and saying that that you were fed was a lie. Talk about you. Well, about it's, it's how interesting. You get, I mean, you, yeah, you, yeah, they keep lying to it. I mean, it's funny you're mentioning Kennedy, and I'm here thinking, you know, in my generation, it's Epstein, right? Um, who who definitely, yeah. obviously, killed himself, and all the cameras just turned off magically. Um, right, right. But no, <laughs> but I, you know, it's yeah. I, I will cut them a little bit of slack. In the past, it was very hard to believe that population rates would collapse everywhere all at once, once people entered a post-prosperity society. But there was already some evidence it was going to happen. There was something called the Rat Utopia Experiments. Um, I don't know if you've heard ah, of these. No, I haven't. Okay, so this is very interesting. So this was research done, I want to say in the 60s, um, and this was when everyone still thought, you know, overpopulation was a thing because we hadn't really seen population collapse happen anywhere yet. And they had this experiment. They go, what happens if we give rats everything they want? So they put them in this enclosure where they had like four places they could go, and they just gave them access to infinite food, infinite water, no predators, you know, in perfect rat temperature. Um, and something very odd happened. So at first... It, it, it absolutely like like incongruous was what anyone expected uh the, the rats uh, what everyone expected to happen first the population exploded you know similar to what happened with humans but then the rats started to do some very odd things they started to cluster all in one chamber 
Um, and this was really analogous to the trend of urbanization that we've seen. Whereas population has gone up, human density clusters have gone up, not down, which is uh, you know really against what a lot of people think. But then you saw other weird behaviors, like some rats would just like cloister themselves off and do nothing but groom themselves all day. Um, and these were called the, the beautiful ones in the experiment. And this behavior hadn't been seen in the population at the time of this experiment. Yet now we see it in stuff like Instagram influencers and stuff like that. But the really scary thing that happened was something called a behavioral sink. So what would often happen in these population clusters is they would just stop breeding and they would go completely extinct, giving them like everything, Quakers. giving them hmm. like what? <laughs> like Quakers. Well, it's yes, like Qua they, yeah, Quakers and Shakers. And yeah, they basically yeah. got extinct. Um, and uh, it's it's it it it. it, it at the time when this experiment was done, everyone was like, oh, yeah, all of these other problems are things we have to worry about. But obviously humans just won't stop breeding, you know, once all their needs are met. Like, that's insane. Humans don't do that. Well, it turns out humans do do that. Um, wow. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's fortunately, we have some things that create resistance to this. So if you look at the communities that are resistant to this, the reason why we wrote the Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, it's the religious communities. But they are not wow. fully resistant. You know, as we said, you know, even as Islamic countries like Iran have fallen below repopulation rate in the U.S., you know, as of this year, or at least within the next five years, even Mormons are falling below repopulation rate. So, I mean, no one is resistant to it, yeah. but the religious communities are more resistant. And to me, what that says is, is uh, fortifying these, these traditional belief structures, which are motivating high birth rates, is probably the only realistic solution out of this. How about that? I want to get to this with our time left, because... Uh, in the in the notes in the PR package I was given, I loved this part when it said, we live in a world that is quickly secularizing, which is kind of what you just mentioned. How yeah. do we fortify our society against the erosion and assault on our traditions? Your book, The Pragmatist Guide to Crafting Religion, you and your wife, Simone, focus both yeah. on how we can fortify traditions against decay. And how can we build new traditions out of whole cloth? Talk about that. that. What a fascinating idea. Yeah, so I'll, I'll say, so what we do, so our Pragmatist Guide series, this is the fifth book in the series so far. I've got to update my LinkedIn on that. Um, but what the, the thesis of the series is, is we take the subjects, you know, this one is on religion, but we also look at things like sexuality, relationships, government structures, that academia has become too scared to honestly tackle anymore. And we then tackle those issues the way like a secular academia would. So we, when we're looking at religion, the fragment of science of crafting religion, we take a completely data-driven, secular perspective, but we do it without the biases that are existent in this extremely left-wing institution that would prevent something like this from ever being published. I mean, my early career, I was a neuroscientist, and I left academia as soon as I realized I didn't have a free voice. So this is like my way to continue to yeah. participate in academia. Um, and so that, that was the mindset we took it with. So we do everything from like, okay, hypothetically, what holiday traditions work well, what structures, and a lot of people are like, like, why are you so focused on religion? Why are you so focused on culture? Like that can't be relevant to us today. Like the way that the, the various religious traditions, you know, split apart and everything. And I'm like, well, okay, what is our society grappling with today? You have two groups of people, one group of people who says, uh, that truth should be authenticated, like, like that you should determine what is true by asking authorities who have spent their entire life studying that subject and have been certified by a central bureaucracy. And then you have another group that says, no, 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 truth should always be determined by independent research. And it's like, and this is what we had going on with COVID. And it's like, this is just the reformation all over again. That was the yes, core but, but, question of the reformation. One group said truth should be determined by people who spend their whole life studying it and who are certified by central bureaucracy. And then another group who said, no, it should be determined by the individual. And what is interesting yes, is that individual. even within the U S right. Yes. We're, yes. we're, we're, um, and, and we now what's cool is we can see how that turned out. You know, we can look yeah. at countries 
um, that were predominantly uh, 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 reliant on expert authority. And we can look at countries that were sort of anti-expert authority and see where both of them failed and where both of them succeeded. Um, and, and what you will find is that neither system is like correct or truly optimal. What is probably best is a multicultural ecosystem where you get a little bit of insight from both perspectives. But our society is increasingly becoming not multicultural. It is just this large progressive virus and everyone else is a slave to it. Well, and, and there are other options between, I think it's not just a dichotomy and we're coming to the end here, so I got a rush, but <laughs> we've got this idea, the, 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 the idea of transhumanism and the radical left seems to have actual contempt for people in general, contempt contempt for humans, contempt for life. Uh, that isn't just an option. Yeah. That's something else again. That well, is I mean, go I back think... to what you said about, about the decay of culture that reveres life and reveres truth to, to begin yeah. with. Well, I mean, I think the left, if you look at the, the predominant cultural belief they have, it's, it's a philosophy of negative utilitarianism. And what we mean by that is, in general, positive utilitarianism, you know, you believe that, uh, like, the, the, you know, what is good is like positive emotional subsets, maximizing the amount of positive emotions people feel, often modified by the amount of negative emotions. So it's like positive emotions minus negative emotions maximize that equation. Negative utilitarianism is different. Negative utilitarianism says positive emotions are largely irrelevant. The only thing that matters is minimizing negative emotions. And this is why with the left, it's always about hurt feelings. It's always about, you know, just like remove all emotional pain from any group, right? But the problem is, is that the answer to their equation is always to remove all humans. And this is why, you know, we run yes, the pronatalists. That little thing, that pesky thing, humans, just destroy yeah. them all. We won't have any more problems. But, but there that, are that, groups that, out there. I mean, you can, if you look yeah. up the antinatalists or you look up the, the um, yes. uh, non-voluntary antinatalism, uh, uh, you know, society, which is a real organization, uh, uh -huh. a nonprofit even out there operating, is their job right. is to forcibly sterilize the population. Because they think that, that we yeah. are dangerous and that is well, you know and, what and, i would I say think, them first yeah. them first if <laughs> they first. want to well they are doing it first and it's going to change yeah yeah exactly well that's why they're uh, after our kids right now you know because they're not having any of their own and it's the only way to replenish their numbers unfortunately we, malcolm unfortunately <laughs> i have to leave it there malcolm collins great uh, to chat with you Oh, God, your energy and your passion are just uh, totally infectious. Talk about a virus. <laughs> you go out there and you do a great job. The Pragmatist Guide, where do they find it? Real quick. The Pragmatist Guide series, you can find it on Amazon. We've got relationships, sexuality, religion, governance. Whatever topic is interesting to you, please check it out. Most of them are only 99 cents. Can't wait to have you back. You or your wife. All maybe right, have a good together. one. You take care. Thanks. <laughs> Bye. Well, that does it for this edition of Spouting Off. Tune in every Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, 1 p.m. for more when there will be so much more to spout off about oh, here on Spouting Off. <laughs>